So anyways, guys, I've been thinking about worshiping Krom again. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's pretty easy. It's super easy. Because <laughs> you Very never, low requirements. You never have to pray to him? No, I just have to learn the riddle of steel, and then I'll get in the Valhalla when I die. Yeah. If, if I die. It's useless to pray to Krom, actually, because, like, he never really listens to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. you know, barely anyone who worships Krom, only a fraction of his worshippers actually read true his doctrine. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Now, I, me personally, I haven't read the doctrine of Krom. Oh, there you is should. nothing to read. There's no text. <laughs> it's so easy. No, it's it's just, all word of mouth. <laughs> it's in a smithery. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You just have to learn it from your blacksmith father. Yeah, the yes. blacksmith's um, hut is the chapel exactly. oh that's great i love that that's very dwarven yes. yeah but you know not everyone has read the doctrine but <laughs> a lot of people have seen the movie true yeah they they made a movie out of the book yes right that's something we're gonna talk about <laughs> it is it's something we're gonna talk about today on oh my god the very final episode of swords and satire yes <laughs> holy shit guys this has been a wild ride oh uh, yeah <laughs> now what what could we possibly talk about for our last episode that's a great question what what film deserves the highest possible honor of being the last movie we talk about on this podcast Crom. <laughs> the book of Crom. that's right yeah. yes <laughs> Well, we're going to answer that question, but first, but first, we should probably tell you that this is Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. Yes. Even if it's the final episode. Yeah. Yeah. Do you we, want to tell them that? I, I do. I want them to know that. Yes. So this is Swords and Satire, the <laughs> podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. You nailed it. And I am your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he and him. And I am here with my barbaric co-hosts. Nice. Um, except I'm not a barbarian. Well, fuck. What? <laughs> <laughs> my name is Cassidy. My pronouns are they, them. And, you know, it's pretty fitting because I am the spirit of the local river. Oh, very nice. Wow. Where the barbarians get their water for their forge. So do you hang out with the four winds, too? We, we, you know, chill sometimes. Nice. Mm. Get it? Um, <laughs> Like a frozen river? And a chill wind. Oh, okay. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a current thing. You wouldn't get yeah. it. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Our friendship ebbs and flows. You uh, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you did there. <laughs> What? <laughs> it's actually a different body of water. Yeah. That, that, you can't say that. No. That was actually kind of racist. <laughs> what? <laughs> are different types, are different like human defined types of bodies of water different races? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just showed how ignorant you are right there. <laughs> Listen, Cass, when you and I play Spirit Island, we always play a combination of... Of River Surge than Sunlight and the Ocean's Hungry Grass. Yeah, so, so you come should on. know they're different spirits. <laughs> but they work together so well. Okay, but they're not the same thing. No, they're not the same, but they're like they're like this. And not I'm putting my fingers water. together. 
Not all water entities look the same. <laughs> I didn't say they look the same. <laughs> you know, all this talk about elemental racism <laughs> makes us think that it's time to watch Disney's new film, Elemental. Except we're never going to do that. We're not going to do it for the show, but maybe we'll watch it. Uh, you don't want to? Reviews are not being kind. I thought it was surprising that in 2023, we got a Disney movie where the main theme is interracial couples. I'm like, <laughs> is that yeah. is that really pressing right now? I mean, it still is, depending on where you are. I guess I want to see it to see where I fall in the, like, comprehension, or not in the comprehension, in the analytical pool of... <laughs> here we're back to bodies of water yeah. about, like, whether or not it is a movie with good messages or not. Uh, weather. <laughs> Anyways, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Me, I'm Jack Olander. I'm a she/her pronoun enjoyer, and I'm a divine beast in the desert. Okay, that's right. That sounds kind of barbaric. Wow. My name is Jellipu. <laughs> oh no, I don't like where this the, is going. The horrible. Okay, <laughs> and I steal your feet uh -huh. if you sleep. With your feet hanging off the tent cot. Okay. <laughs> so these are these are uh, <laughs> desert nomads with cots. Yes. Okay, I like that. Yes, but if your feet are hanging off the cot, I'm just then gonna. Bad news. They're gone. So are you like, if anybody sees you, are you like a gelatinous ooze that's like made of poop? No. No. Oh, there, she's but, a cat. But your name is Jelly Poo. Well, it's actually Jellicle. Yes. Oh. Cass must have missed that. I'm no, I didn't. I was. <laughs> you were trying to run away from it. Yeah. But you can't run without feet. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like <laughs> somehow stumps that are like already like surgically closed you up? You wake up and you have you have. Cat, CGI cat feet. <laughs> <laughs> that is I, that is a fate worse than death. So no human shoes will ever work for you again. That's right. I'm half lion, half dung beetle. Okay. <laughs> now I have some follow-up questions about the feet. <laughs> yes. Now when Cass and I used to sleep in a tent every weekend and we had cots, I often slept with Uggs on. Does that does that count as covering my feet? That's actually yeah, that's actually the superstitious protection against Okay, me. good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like the evil eye, but for foot fetishes. Yes. But is it like garlic for vampires where it doesn't always really work on them, or does it work on you wearing shoes to bed? Oh no, it, it well It's Uggs specifically, Cass. Oh, oh, Uggs to bed. It's not that like I respect that you wore shoes to bed. Uh I'm I'm repelled supernaturally. Right. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. I see. So you're a foot fetishist. Well, we've covered that. <laughs> you know, I actually took avatar form once in the yeah. form of a human. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Derulo. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yes. <laughs> God. Hey, guys, remember when Quentin Tarantino uh, made a movie or like what wrote a movie where uh, Selma Hayek fed him vodka or tequila off her feet? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's Robert right. Robert Rodriguez directed that movie. Yes. I think Tarantino wrote it. The yeah. Apostle Quentin. Mm, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
anyways, we've had a lot of talk about feet. We've also talked a bit about Crom. And we've talked about how this is our final episode. So I feel like we're kind of wrapping this up very nicely. Yeah, we're just getting loosey-goosey with it now. Yeah. But for our last episode, that's not a joke, by the way. This is actually going to be the final episode of the Swords and Satire podcast. Um, You can go back a couple weeks and hear more about why that might be the case. But we did decide that as kind of an homage to one of the greatest fantasy movies of all time and to our very first episode, we would go back and rewatch and re-talk about the 1982 fantasy masterpiece, Conan the Barbarian. Thankfully, we never got to talk about the remake, which is not very good. <laughs> I was like, oh, we could do the Conan remake. I'm like, or... We could just talk about the good one. The yeah. one that we like. Yeah. Yes. And Odin would also like to be a part of this episode. Yeah. Anyways, this movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course. Also features James Earl Jones, Sandal Bergman, Jerry Lopez, and Mako. Yeah. And it was directed by legendary director John Milius. That's right. <laughs> But before we say too much about the movie, we should probably give it a quick summary so people remember what happens in this amazing film. Uh, yeah, sure. So Conan loses his village. Whoops. Gains a mill. True. And he's the only one who's like muscular enough to push that grinder. (laughs) Well, he ate all the other kids who were pushing the grinder, right? Like that was the only source of protein that he had. Yeah, I guess so. Like every year we see like the passage of time as like less and less slaves are there pushing the mill and just Conan in the end is... Yeah. The only one there. We assume he ate all the other people. It's it's a fair assumption. Yeah. Um then he becomes a gladiator. Yep. Slave he, gladiator. Yeah, he's a slave. Which might be uh redundant. Yeah. Right. Uh but he always has his totem with him, which is the wheel of the mill. Yeah. You <laughs> got to remember where you he, came from. He wears it as like a totem pendant. <laughs> And he has that, like, most of the film. Yeah. But so, uh, you know, Conan is always harboring resentment for the snake cult who murdered his village when he was a child. Yeah, you know, he's having a hard time letting it go. (laughs) Yeah, come on, man. (laughs) So everywhere he goes, he's always asking if anybody knows about the snake totem with the two-headed snake. Yeah. Facing each other like this. Over a black and sun. And I'm doing the thing that Conan does. Yeah, he does it like this. Exactly. Right. Yeah, like this. And along the journey, he makes a bunch of friends. That's yeah. right. So in a lot of ways, this is a story about friendship. His first friend is a witch. Who oh, they're not friends. Who doesn't get a name. They have sex. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are friends. Uh, yeah, but she also turns into a demon and I think tries to eat him. Yeah, you know, sometimes friends are having a bad day. <laughs> I mean, she leaves and he's fine. 
sure. Just a little traumatized. <laughs> Cry. I mean, by that logic, the first friends he makes are some wolves. Oh, God. <laughs> the you wolves mean... do not leave fine. No, they do not. No. Well, they uh, they leave with him. They leave a fine coat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But um, then he meets Subotai, the thief and archer. Who's chained out in the back of the witch's hut. I really like how in this world. Oh, God. <laughs> I just it's all coming together. what that might mean. We I, don't I, have to go there. I do like how in this world, though, you can just introduce yourself with a thief and like somebody will be like, cool. Yeah, that's a valid job. Yeah. You got to do what you can do to make money in this crazy world. He seems mostly like a burglar sort of thief. Subdivision of thievery, sure. burglar. Yeah. They have a great friendship. They pal around together all across the landscape, visiting different cities. and Yeah, they bust each other's balls a bunch. Yeah. They, like, have what seems like it might be a theological argument that just ends up with both of them just laughing it up, just yucking. Yeah, like, arguing who the, has the better gods, the four winds, Subotai, or... Uh, Conan's Crom. Yeah, I like how nobody in this universe is too. Well, not nobody. <laughs> At least between Conan and Subotai, like they have different religious points of view. Totally works out. But if you worship a snake, all bets are off. Cringe. Um, they eventually find their way to a city that has a huge phallic tower with snakes at the top. They're like, this could be a clue. Do you think that's where the snake court lives? Probably. Well, it's worth a shot. It's hard to tell if this is the snake cult Conan is looking for or if it's your run of the mill right. snake cult. Just yeah. another snake cult. There's yeah. so many snake cults throughout the land. Like, you never know. It's like a fast food place that sells burgers. <laughs> yeah. It's <Yes>. like. <laughs> <laughs> is this the snake cult with the two headed snake in the black sun or is it the snake cult with the. You know, three-headed snake and the yellow rose. Right. One thing you have to know about burgers from the snake cult is that they're made of people, though. Well, yes. yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a given across the land. Right. But if you're okay with that, then, you know, go yeah. on ahead. Yeah. Otherwise, they kind of have like a whole peace and love vibe going. They're going to break into that heckin' tower, and that's where they meet Sandal Bergman. Valeria. <laughs> Valeria. And since they're all going to rob the place, they just, why not do it together? Yeah, yeah, team up. So much easier. Yes, you have to split the treasure a little bit more, but you increase your odds of success. And she had the rope. Did you know we're true. all best friends now? It's true. And it's kind of so great. they were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they kill the fucking snake. They steal all the gems. They have some antics, too. Yeah, they do. Like, Valeria, like, kind of, like, pretends to be a cult member until Thorgrim or the other big guy notices that she's not one of the cult members. And she's like, psych, and, like, jumps on the rope and Looney Tunes her way up. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty good. So they kind of live it up and are, like, carousing and, like, drinking and buying a bunch of gear and stuff and, like... Really living it up with all the gems they stole. And Conan and Valeria hit it off and they <laughs> they get together. And I apologize. It was Rexor, not Thorgrim. I, I very okay. want to make sure that we're clear on that. Right. Yes. Um, oh, one thing. From the tower, Conan got this medallion that had the emblem of the snake cult that, he, that killed his whole village. Right. 
And so he's kind of obsessing about it. Valeria wants him to just like come away with her. See, there's this king that wanted them to go find his daughter. King Osric, played by the lovely Maxon Sidow. And he gave them a ton more gems to go after his daughter from another snake cult. <laughs> <laughs> or the same snake cult. But they don't know that at the time. <laughs> Conan's um, like, snakes? Fucking hate them. So they're... Conan's like, I think I'm going to go after him. And Valeria's like, but but we're together and we're so good. And, you know, fuck them. And yeah, we're already rich. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need to avenge your tribe. Just like, let's go. We let's can go live out. our lives. Uh, but the next day he's gone. Oh. And he goes and takes. He just infiltrates that heckin cult. He passes all of his bluff checks. I'll tell you what. He just except for the last one. He just dresses like a pilgrim and goes right on in there. Uh, but then they figure it out because he gave him a medallion that he stole from one of their <laughs> offshoot usually, temples. Usually <laughs> a dead giveaway. And they say, hey, buddy, you're in big trouble. We got to talk to the boss about you. Yeah, <laughs> I got to go to management. You're going to meet with our manager. Turns that, out management is Thulsa Doom. That doesn't go well. And then Conan ends up on the tree of woe. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Yeah. Except <laughs> typical Friday afternoon. Vultures are trying to eat him. He eats them right back. That's only know? fair. Yeah. But then he is getting weaker. Then his friends come and save the day. He's like kind of like mostly dead, though. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> they'll, they'll make him better. We forgot the part where he meets Mako, or sorry, Akiro the wizard, but that's okay. Yeah, well, they Valeria and Subotai bring him back to Akiro and they do a ritual to help keep, like, the spirits from taking his soul away. And that's where Valeria tells him that she would, what, go into the afterlife to save him? Or? Yeah, she would come back from the right, dead. Right, she would come back from the dead to save him. Thank like, you. Like, death is not a barrier for their love, basically. And um, she agrees. She tells Akiro that she will pay whatever price to bring him back. And she's about to pay a price, I'll tell you what. They all go back and infiltrate the snake cult together, and they go through a back entrance that Subotai knew about. Turns out those peace-loving hippies that were outside of the snake cult are probably also dinner yeah. for the inner circle of the snake cult, yeah. having their crazy cannibal orgy. Yeah. And uh, King Osric's daughter... Is there presiding over the orgy? Please, Cass, use her proper name from the movie, The Princess. The Princess is presiding over the orgy with <laughs> Falsa Doom, who turns into a snake. I never saw that coming. <laughs> Maybe it's like how you just call Elvis the king. Oh, I can see that. So you're saying that it's not sexism. It's uh, honoring her by not giving her a name. It's both. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Conan and friends crash the orgy party. They break a few skulls, they kidnap the princess, and, uh, or re-kidnap her? Um, they um. liberate her against her will. <laughs> it's very American. Yeah. She's goaded with the snake sauce. True. So, like, she consented to the evil cult, and they, you know. But can you consent when you're on snake sauce? It's true. You can't. You cannot. Yeah. She was Thulsa Doom's right-hand wench. <laughs> But now we didn't have enough right hand winches in movies we watched. I know, but now uh, she's just another princess. 
It's not as good. Bummer. <laughs> that sucks for her, I guess. Take away the the. <laughs> Just princess. Yeah. yeah. They go back to like, there's these ruins around where Akira lives. No, hold on. On the, on the beach. We're forgetting a very important moment as they're escaping. Oh, yeah. From Thulsa Doom's uh, snake empire. Thulsa Doom use like makes a snake into an arrow and shoots her in the side. Did not know you could do that with reptiles. Yeah. Yeah, Valeria the Grey dies. <laughs> yes, she she dies <laughs> in the true. classic <laughs> way of dying. Snake arrow in the um side, yeah. I guess. And as Conan is pulling the snake out of her, that motherfucker is buried deep. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh she dies asking him to kiss her one more time. And I was like, gross. She's dead. It's <laughs> like, but you're dying of snake poison. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't know if that's a good idea. But they bring her body back to those ruins mm -hmm. with the princess. They give her a like kind of like a Viking funeral on a fire. She explodes. Yeah. In a place where fire is not supposed to be able to touch. Yeah, that was Akira keeps saying how fire cannot like exist on the mountain yeah and it's like these the hill the, yeah. these ruins or it's like this tomb of the dead and there's all these old warriors like propped up around and even like a, a, a horse uh skeleton yeah akira lives in like a graveyard yeah i mean he's a crazy old wizard it works he has um, an agreement with the spirits of the area yeah they then they Good set deal. up the whole like tomb and graveyard with booby traps. Home alone. Yeah. Full and, Rambo home alone. Yeah. And like get set up with all their weapons because they know Thalsa Doom is going to come in with his henchmen to try to kill them all. Why did we never get a home alone sequel where um, Kevin is basically just like a Rambo type soldier <laughs> setting up booby traps? But he, that's what he already is. I know, I know. But like, let's make it weird and dark. <laughs> I think that was the second one. <laughs> when are we going to get a Spider-Man Christmas movie called Spider-Man Far From Home Alone? <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch it. Actually, oh, man, Spider-Man would be really good at setting up traps, too. He webs. Yeah, it would be... <laughs> Trapdoor spider. It would be <gasps> great if they did that when they're all older now. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Home Alone. Well, there was that, like, YouTube video back where Macaulay Culkin got yeah. back together with, like, the guys who played the Wet Bandits. Yeah. And they were, like, freaking out and yeah. had, like, severe PTSD yeah. from the trauma of that time they tried to kidnap good. a kid twice. And he, like, electrocuted them, hurled bricks at them, <laughs> impaled their feet with yeah. nails, set covered them, them in fire. hot tar, Jamie, set them on in fire. The, in the Back for Vengeance, like, fifth movie or whatever it is. Uh, so, uh, Kevin is an adult, but he's, like, severely disturbed, and- yeah, clearly. Um, From he, that time that he was almost kidnapped twice by two fucking <laughs> lunatics. He finds them. They've already been through, like, rehab, and- No, like, they're good people now. Yeah, and they're just on a camping trip. Oh, and that's he terrifying. he finds them in the woods, and they realize, like, they're being stalked by something, Oh, and Cass, this is so good. He starts setting up traps for them and like leads them through the woods as they're running away from his traps to this area that he wants them to be. In. Oh my god. Uh 
the hunted becomes the hunter. Yeah, it gets really dark after that. We don't have to keep going. But. <laughs> I think they're making this movie. Didn't we just watch the trailer? It's called Craven the Hunter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so the traps are set up in the ruins. <laughs> yes. Thulsa yeah. Doom actually does show up with a bunch of henchmen. Well, he's mad now. They kid- they re-kidnapped the princess from him. It's like a regiment of g- dudes. Yes, he doesn't care about saving the princess. He cares about his pride being wounded. Yeah, it's true. Don't we all? They took something from him, and he's supposed to be the most powerful being. Yeah, he tries to say, like, he doesn't have, like, an ego anymore, and we know that's not true. No. So, Conan, Subotai, and... Akiro. Akiro take on, like, two dozen guys... Just like with guerrilla style warfare. They had but, a gorilla? How did I miss that? Uh but um before they actually have the battle, Conan has this monologue that he's talking to Krom. Oh, so good. He's just like, Krom, I'm gonna go in the battle. If you don't give me victory, then go to hell. Yeah. I'm like, that's how you talk to a god. I've yeah. never asked you for anything. <laughs> I don't expect you to do anything. I just want this one thing. I want to be remembered as being two people who went against many. He wasn't right. counting Akira. He wasn't counting Akira, which I don't I don't dig that. Yeah. I think Akira is one of the best characters, not just because I love Mako. But also because Akira rules. He helped them set up the dummies and booby traps and stuff. He also stabs the guy with a pole arm. But he's also not a fighter yeah. in the same way. He's a more of a wizard. He's yes. powerful. But so, yeah, actually, all of their tricks and traps work and they kill everybody except for Thulsa Doom, who runs away. But not before he tries to kill the princess who they have tied up. Which is a defining moment for her because that's when she is kind of has the spell on her broken. At this point, she's been trying to like call out. She's calling Thulsa Doom father. Yeah. Replacing Max von Sydow in her mind with Thulsa Doom, who is like her new kind of father figure slash like God on Earth. Yeah. When she sees him firing the arrow at her, she is suddenly realizing that she means nothing to him. And she's yeah. saved by Subotai. Yeah. Wasn't it Conan? It was Subotai. Oh, shit. Yeah. He he saw what was happening. He was, like, charging up the hill to block the shot. Well, he's a dude. He's a good dude. Like, yeah. he does what's right. And the actor is a surfer. That's pretty cool. Which is how you know he's a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> um... And that's it. The, that's kind of, <laughs> like, what the, happens the movie that? kind of ends at that yeah. point. Like, no. During the fight, we forgot to mention yes. Valeria shows up as Valeria the White. Yeah, it's Valkyrie area. Yeah, that's right. Valkyria. She shows up dressed in a Valkyrie mirror yeah. outfit. And, and she uh, says, do you want to live forever? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. And in a way, she is living she, forever. She blocks a shot that would have killed Conan, giving him enough time to, like, rebound. All I'm saying is, <laughs> Thulsa Doom strikes her down, and she comes back more powerful than he could ever imagine. Right. <laughs> Obi-Wan's this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She Obi-Wan's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it kind of ends, like, showing that Conan's going to become a king by his own hand. Yeah, we get this awesome shot of, like, Arnold in 
like slightly aged Conan King mode, yeah. like pensively sitting on a throne, which alludes to like the Conan novel or short stories where he is like this king who is kind of discontent with the lack of an adventurous life. But like it alludes to a really good sequel that we never get. Yeah, it's true. We did not mention he goes back to Thulsidum. Right? We we kind of did. Oh no, yeah. He we fucking kills that ending. guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yo, that's right. He goes back to the temple. That's right. I'm like, wait, it does not end there. I'm like <laughs> I was like, what happened? So Conan <laughs> goes back to the temple where Thulsa Doom is, speaking to all of his worshippers on a night where they're all holding candles. He's like the it's time of ascension. Night. It's Snake's Night. The time of ascension is slithering in. Yeah. <laughs> he, All Snake's Day. Yeah. It seems like the pivotal moment when he's going to like get them to kill themselves. It does. Something. But then Conan... He's uh, going to eat them. Yeah. Conan, you know, just walks walks right up behind Thulsa Doom on stage. Doesn't attack him right away or anything. He's just like, hey, I'm here now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know how when you're going on a midnight assassination attempt, you announce yourself yeah. to the, your target? Yeah, and Thulsa Doom is like, hello, my son. Yeah, He tries a hard persuasion check. I'm yes. your dad. <laughs> <laughs> like, metaphorically. Yes, well, he has I am thing. your father. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. that's perfect. He- <laughs> <laughs> Shit, it is James Earl Jones, too. Yes. Um. He has this thing where he can, like, hypnotize people, so he tries that. Yes. He uses the riddle of flesh. <laughs> yes. Or he's just it's like... It's super ineffective. Your entire purpose for being alive is killing me. And so if I'm dead, doesn't that mess up your whole vibe? Isn't your feng shui off? And this almost <laughs> works on Conan. Yes. He, Conan's considering it. He seems like... It's like worming its way into his brain and he's like kind of going slack for a second. But then he remembers the day that Thulsa Doom rode in and murdered his family. And in his right hand is his biological father's sword. Shitty broken sword. Yes. Uh, Not too shitty, however, to just hack into Thulsa Doom's neck. (laughs) Oh, it is graceless. Yes. Yeah. It is a brutal... Inglorious end. I would generally say that, like in D anD D terms, Conan is more of a fighter and less of a barbarian. But in this moment, I'm pretty sure he's channeling his rage. Yeah, he multiclasses at the end of the film, and so yeah, just there's no he has no style, he has no grace. (laughs) This Conan just like hacks his head off a couple times, cuts off his face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It takes him a few swings to get through that thing. Yep. But then he just tosses Thulsa Doom's head down the stairs and people are like, all right, well, I guess we'll go do something else on a Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. This party sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I hear there's a cult that worships penguins down the road. Okay. And they all all take off. (laughs) They do penguin waddle toward the next (laughs) temple over. (laughs) And Conan burns down the snake temple. Yeah, I don't know how he burns down a stone temple, but it fucking works. We've it's seen that, magical. Yes, we've right. seen that fire has magical properties. Sure. I'm, I'm going to give it the benefit of saying it's that. Okay. But uh, yeah. Then we get the, the postscript of King Conan. Yeah. Yes. Which, again, alludes to the sequel that we did not get. We ended up getting Conan and the Destroyer, a movie we talked about in our second year that you can go back and hear our thoughts on. Strange film. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, I think it's probably time for us then to head into the delve one more time. All right, this is the delve where we talk about the themes, scenes, and lore of Conan the Barbarian. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. <laughs> no. We're <laughs> not going to make fun of the British one more time. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I see. That does not relevant to this film. This is an American movie. I'm from Iberborea. <laughs> <laughs> My Iberborean accent. <laughs> no, this film was made in Spain. That's right. Yeah. Gorgeous fucking sets. All right, guys, so lots to talk about with this movie, but I think the first thing I want to cover is kind of a closer look at the idea of kind of like purpose, what drives us, what motivates us to action, and how that ties back to questions of mortality and immortality in a way. Okay. Because, you know, we have this kind of repeated line from Valeria, do you want to live forever? Of course, echoed years later in the masterpiece film Starship Troopers. And we have this conversation with Thulsa Doom and Conan where Conan goes. He's been hunting Thulsa Doom for half the movie at this point, And he finally catches up with him, so to speak. He's being captured by Rexor and Thorgrim after infiltrating trying to infiltrate the snake cult and Thulsa Doom is like hey first off I'm super powerful and second off I give you purpose right mm -hmm. and third off when I was young I was this conquering warlord going out on the town killing tribes of barbarians like yours but now I know that steel isn't that great steel can break but if you can control people that's so much better now at the time that he was conquering Conan's tribe of Sumerians he was also, like, he had a lot of people working for him yeah. pretty diligently, too. Yeah. But he seems to think that, like, having this cult is going to make him more powerful, immortalize him, right? He's supposed to be, like, a living god on Earth or on Hyperborea, since this is Conan. Yes. Yeah. We can juxtapose that with the spiritual element that Jackson will talk about later. But I think this is going to be kind of the glue between all of our conversations today. Where Conan is like, I don't need immortal life. I need to do this one thing. Yeah. Versus somebody like Subotai, who has a perspective about kind of his purpose in life is survival. And Valeria, who's lived a life of kind of struggle and hardship. And now she sees the opportunity to go have something more. She wants a connection to others. Yeah. She wants to finally feel connected to somebody. And she feels that with Conan and Sibotai to some extent, though we don't explore their relationship too much, but we kind of have this thread that goes through all of them about what you're willing to fight for and what you're willing to die for. Mm -hmm. And like, we see it very well illustrated by, Thulsa Doom, when he's talking about the riddle of steel that he mentioned to Conan when he was a young boy, that kind of is not relevant to his worldview now because he can talk people into basically killing themselves for him. Like he yeah. beckons this girl to him, this woman to him, who just jumps off of a cliff because he tells her to come to him. Yeah. Now there are more... <laughs> 
there are more practical ways to get to somebody, but she definitely takes the most efficient route. Yeah. But it really ties back to this idea about what a character is motivated by. And we have this really interesting thing that I found in, in this watch of the movie, especially where all of the characters have really clear, distinct motivations. And I feel like a lot of times in movies that would follow this one, we don't get really clear character motivations, even amongst like main characters. It's very much like, oh, like good guy fight bad guy, good guys work together and all kind of have the same goal. Bad guys are just evil and that's it. But we get a complex villain with Thulsa Doom who kind of has this charming personality where he's able to convince people to do things. And we have these three kind of main characters and then Akiro too, who all have different drives and different things that are driving them. And it puts our main characters at odds with each other in certain ways, but not to the point that it divides them too much, right? Conan goes off on his own and he gets in trouble. He's more powerful with his friends. It's true. Yeah, he dies on his own. Exactly. Yes. Mostly dead. He's mostly dead. Yeah. Yeah, at least. <laughs> at least. Not completely dead. But, you know, Conan, driven by revenge. Valeria, driven by need. Kind of like desperation, for lack of a better word. And now she has, like, a, a drive to have a deeper connection. And then Subo Tai, who has a little bit more of a philosophical kind of enjoyment of fun yeah. right he's kind of the fun loving guy he's the michelangelo of the party in a lot of ways oh yes <laughs> i'd say he cares about loyalty too oh yeah absolutely conan saved him and he's like i want to help you out yeah definitely you helped me out i want to help you out yeah but i like how these character motivations drive the plot forward in ways that a lot of movies fail to do yeah i mean i, I don't think this movie gets the credit it deserves for being outstandingly well written and i didn't mention at the top i should have noted that oliver stone wrote the screenplay for this movie you know i mean the, the writer who would go on to write films like scarface wall street platoon natural wow. born killers yeah. yeah like this is an accomplished writer who knew what he was doing yeah well it shows it is very character driven and kind of shows how people's different agendas can like clash and like make big things happen. <laughs> yeah, when we're looking at characters' motivations, we're definitely following Conan the most closely. Oh, definitely. And for his early life, his only motivation is just to survive. And he is enslaved in such a way that. He pretty much only exists to serve the crowd and his masters. Yeah. And when he's set free, there's this, he's very confused. Yeah, and the audience might be too. Yeah. Because it's not really said why or what's going on. But yet we get this whole character arc of the guy who buys Conan as a slave off of the mill. Yeah. Who's like taking him to all these places, taking him to learn philosophy, to be a better warrior. He like gives Conan a chance in the barbarian pit or in the fighting pits. Yeah. And when he realizes that he's got like, um, uh, <laughs> a future superstar of the gladiatorial ring, he's like, Oh, I better get this guy like 
trained up really well and mm-hmm. like take takes him to the east to learn sword fighting he learns philosophy like on what is the equivalent of like the mongolian steps yeah yes and he's like a showpiece though i mean he's this guy's kind of showing conan off like a prized horse yeah not like a human being yeah but so conan for decades right probably yeah. like 20 years has been enslaved yeah And when he's given his freedom, he does not seem to immediately want to accept because it's in the night. His chains are suddenly broken, like startling him awake, basically. Yeah. And the guy who bought him is like, get out of here quickly. They're going to come after you. Yeah. You got to run. I think somebody probably wanted to buy him. Or just take him. Yeah. Yeah. And so it seems like his former, like, slave owner like was conflicted like he didn't want to let him go he seemed sad about it but he also seemed like there was nothing else he could do if he didn't want conan to be like just like taking down a really dark path maybe yeah darker than the uh gladiatorial slavery that he was already bound to yeah it's true we don't really get to know the motivations of his slave master that set him free the scene we see right before this is a scene where Conan is answering a philosophical question of one of the, like, effectively, like, Hun. Yes. Huns. Like a warlord. Yeah. And Conan, he says, what's the best thing in life? And Conan gives a pretty disturbing answer. <laughs> but very clear. Very clear. And what the warlord was looking for. To crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women. Right? <laughs> that is not a uh, safe person to be around. <laughs> yeah. And so... No, but it's the answer that the warlord was looking for. <laughs> yes. And so, uh, yeah, my interpretation... You were joking about one of the other warlords in the tent like oh my god i'm in the wrong neighborhood <laughs> yeah exactly like, i gotta look at i gotta reconsider this whole warlord thing <laughs> look forward to our skit later uh yeah and so uh yeah my one of my interpretations of the text might be that his master was like not pleased with what conan was becoming yeah, set, maybe. To set him free as part of that. <laughs> you know, I wanted this kid to grow up to be a brutal barbarian uh, gladiator, but not a killer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's very much like our uh, Northman intro yeah. skit. <laughs> when we're raiding and pillaging, I think he really wants to hurt people. <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. Uh, he seems well. so angry when we're going into our rage. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, though. I mean, it's, it's a good point. Yeah. And so, yeah, Conan finds a purpose and he's like, OK, I've lived a life of training to be a fighter, a warrior. I can apply that to revenge. Yes. And it's only after he finds this purpose for himself that the real events of the movie start happening. Right. That is all. I mean, we get like the important backstory of Thulsa Doom. Right. Killing off Conan's tribe. But nothing happens with that for a very long time. Yeah, we're, we're kind of taken away. And I think that that's why I feel like this is such a great like lesson in, in screenwriting, because we get like an inciting incident. Then we step away and we see other parts in this character's life. Everything doesn't have to be driven by this single motivation. That's just like the background that's going to push Conan forward. 
But there are other things happening in the world around him. And we get this world building that so many films just don't put into their stories. That's true. And as Conan meets some of his other friends, Subotai, who brings joy into Conan's life. Yeah. And then Valeria, who brings love. love. (laughs) And so there's community. They have each other. They're working towards similar goals. But Conan tosses it aside to follow what he's decided his purpose is. And let's not forget to mention Akira, who just makes it a little weird. You gotta have that in life. Yeah. But uh, Conan, (laughs) yeah, Conan leaves him behind and he leaves behind a lot of things people would consider essential in life because he's on a revenge path. Yes. It's a self-destructive path. It is. It gets him killed. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly. Mostly. Yeah, he gets, well, he gets entirely crucified. Yeah. (laughs) Not always fatal. No, not this time. Thankfully, because he had friends. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It took all three of them to save him. It's true. So at the end of the day, this really is a film about friendship. (laughs) I think it is. But that's when Thulsa Doom at the end, that's why his speech is so compelling. Yes. Yeah. It's the drive that he's had. Like, what will his purpose be? You tossed aside the life that you had built just to keep pursuing me. You get you set aside your friends, your love, and even sacrificed yourself once, now potentially twice, just to come get me. Aren't I the most important thing in your life? Aren't I your best friend? Gaslighting isn't real, Conan. You sound crazy. I also find it interesting in part of the dynamic between the characters... Like the different morality system of this world, um, as it's different from our own, and how. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And how it affects the way people like form relationships. Okay, let's talk about it. Yeah. So there's not this same like social taboo around stealing. In that world, as there is in our own, or at least in our own culture. I mean, you know, the old saying, like, uh, if you can steal a loaf of bread to uh, have a great party and, like, invite all your friends, then it's morally okay. Yeah. it's Well, it's kind of, like, generally frowned upon to steal, but it's also kind of, like, it's actually more of the Celtic way. Okay. Where, uh... If you can get away with it, then, like, even if people suspect it was you, like, they can't really do anything about it if they don't have proof. Well, Conan's, like, tribe of Sumerians, like, in the original text, are very heavily Celtic and Norse-inspired. Like, their enemies, they're called the Sumerians, and then their enemies are the Vanir. Mm-hmm. Like, the opposing tribe of the Sumerians. There was this law that everybody followed in the Celtic lands that was like perpetuated by the law speakers, the Druids. And um, they would oversee disputes as one of their tasks. And like people would steal from each other all the time, frequently cattle. Of course. Especially in Ireland. They're rustling. (laughs) (laughs) Early cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. 
and Count boys. <laughs> oh or, man, that's a good cosplay like, idea. They yeah. might steal other people's lives, you know. Count boys. Um, steal other people's lives. Yeah, in the form <laughs> of stabbing. <laughs> wow. uh, you know, just that's just petty theft. Yeah, it kind of. I mean, there was like not a death penalty really. They they would um if somebody was killed in as part of like a feud. Uh, somebody, they would have to, like, it was much more of a communal system. Uh, and so somebody from the family that did the killing would have to go join the, the right. other family who lost a family member to, like... Make up for the labor. Make up for the lost person and to, like, bring balance again. Yeah, I mean, this was similar in prehistoric Scandinavia with the Weir Guild, like, the Germanic peoples. I mean, Scandinavia and Germanic tribes, like, if you killed somebody, there was, like, a life cost on that person yeah. based on their standing in society. So if you could afford... <laughs> if you could afford the debt to kill somebody, you could kind of get away with murder. Yeah, there was, like... Basically, a system of reparations if somebody felt like something had been taken from them. I love the idea of having to go to, like, a Thanksgiving meal with the other family because <laughs> you were given over to them. And they're just, like, staring at you. And they're like, you know, your cousin, uh, jimmy he's a real piece of work. <laughs> I mean, it, it's no more awkward than any family gathering I've ever been to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and it's if, the bloodied or the bloodless family feud. Yeah. <laughs> if like cattle or other goods were stolen, they'd have to like, and it could be proven somehow. Um, Just riding the cow. <laughs> <laughs> they would um, have to like pay it back and then some. To kind just of a like, loaning fee. Yeah. This is rental. Early blockbuster video, but for cows. <laughs> but everybody stole from everybody, and it was just kind of like, you just try not to get caught. It seems more honest than the system we have now. Yeah. But it kind of reminds me of the system in Conan. It's like, they steal stuff, and it's just like, woo, we got away with it. Yay, yeah. now we're rich. And like... Nobody's just robbed like, the king. Like that's just doing praxis. Nobody's really talking down to them, and like the snake cult is really just more pissed off that somebody had the gall to steal from them. Well, they also killed their god. Yeah. Well, he uh, Thalsa Doom calls it his pet. Thorgrim oh, was beside himself with grief. He, he raised that snake. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they weren't like trying. Well, so they were like. Taking their reparations out and, like, beating him, you know? But, like, then they were just like, you really hurt our feelings, man. Yeah, I do. I do like that. <laughs> Thorgrim really does look sad as he's, like, holding another snake, like, very, yeah. like, fatherly. Yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> they step on Conan's hand. Yeah, Oof. it's not good. With a metal shoe. And later on, there's a hand in the pot of cannibal food. That's it's right. True. Lots of hands. Yeah, a lot yeah. of hands in this movie. So what people... Very biblical in that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people seem to value friendship more than any kind of, like, moral system about, like, murder and theft that we have in our culture. Um, it's kind of like, if this is what helps you, it's kind of all okay as long as you're not caught or if you can like fight off the people who caught you 
It's more like seeing what you can get away with. Right. And it's all kind of like permissible to an extent, as long as you're not like trying to grasp too much or go too high. And um, like I said, it's just a more honest system than we have today. Yeah. It's a little bit more anarchic in terms of like somewhat egalitarian to an extent. There is a hierarchy, but like everybody else who's like not a part of the nobility, they're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, pretty much. I think since it's also sort of like an ancient setting. Mm hmm. There isn't really there. There don't appear to be nations necessarily. Everything is very tribal. There's kingdoms and city states. Yeah. 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 But I feel like it's a setting where once you get outside those walls, it's it's just free for all. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Like you can kill someone outside of city walls and it's just like, well, they were in the wilderness. Yeah, (laughs) it happens. Got to learn how to take care of yourself out there. Exactly. <laughs> there, there's three major like groups that I know of from the Conan universe: the Sumerians, which is Conan's people, and then I guess also the rival Vanir. Then there's like the Aquilonians, who are basically ancient Greeks, and then the Stygians, who are like really bad caricatures of Egyptians. Oh yes. And um, actually, the character Thulsa Doom in this movie is really more of an Aquilonian. So like yeah. would have been like an ancient Greek character, but they also kind of conflated him with Thothamon from Robert E. Howard's writing. Yeah. Who was like the snake Stygian yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, our brother Hudson and I had a conversation once about how it's kind of crazy that this guy who's clearly like a Stygian, like in terms of like the Robert E. Howard universe would be like a darker skinned man with the snake like worshiping worshiping an egyptian worshiping the egyptian god set is an aquilonian in the setting which is like basically like blonde-haired greeks in howard's writing and i'm glad that they like mess with race and everything in ways that howard was not doing early on in his career in the 20s in the 20s yeah or earlier so in this setting in the conan world hyperborea personal wealth kind of comes and goes (laughs) But Ain't it the truth? The moral compass that they all kind of go by is more about like there's an importance on the relationships that you have to other people. Yeah. Your connections and kind of staying true to your word. And like honesty is the best policy. There's like this system of reciprocity that is more important in their lives. It's kind of like a give and take and exchange. Not necessarily of goods, but it could be of, like, favors. Right. And that is what rules their lives more. And there's this, like, honor system within that. And that is what drives them all. And it kind of helps bind them together. Yeah, I like how that ties in nicely with my discussion about the, like, character motivations, right? Yeah. You can see, like, we can make these larger interpretations about the world through the actions of the characters and the interactions of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Conan helps Subotai. So Subotai helps Conan on his journey. You know, Conan saved his life. Subotai Which I, I'm there. led to believe is a, a positive thing. Yeah. 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 Valeria helped them 
steal break from the, into the snakes and steal from the snake cult. So she's kind of a part of their friend crew now too. And um, they bond very quickly over yeah, these shared, uh, I guess not traumatic, violent experiences, thrilling experiences. Thank you. Yeah. And they show in small ways that they can trust each other, too, by, like, sticking together and, like, drinking together or, like, having meals together. Yeah. And, like, not just taking more than what is their share. Yeah, they can, like, even though Conan leaves them behind, he's doing that more probably out of a misguided sense of, like, not wanting to involve his friends anymore. Yeah, he doesn't want them to come to harm. They were saying they wanted to just let it go and go live their lives somewhere else. And he wanted to honor what their wishes were. Yeah. He didn't want to like force or manipulate them to follow him if that's not what they wanted to do. Then he'd be no better than Thulsa Doom. Right. Who wants to control people, who wants to tell everyone what to do. And he didn't sacrifice his personal agenda just to go along with them either. Right. Yeah. So they all have this autonomous behavior, but they do find in the end that it is better to work together. Yeah. Of course, Conan is going to become king someday, so don't care for that. (laughs) Even though conceptually I like the idea of King Conan, he's still a king. The thing is, is like they will stick together and work together as long as it suits each of them and what they're all working towards in their lives. But as soon as that isn't working for them anymore, it's kind of like they will separate. But it seems like it it would be amicable. It's not like they're going to force each other to stay stick around. They all, like you said, have this autonomy. And that is another thing that they value. Right. Very highly. And so that creates this kind of friendship where they can like truly appreciate each other for who they are and not be bound by any false sense of like obligation it's honest yeah they do things together because they want to yeah uh with all that being considered with your theme and jamie's theme it's sort of a strange ending to the film because it it is framed like a happy ending and it does feel sort of like a happy ending but it also feels kind of like since it's a revenge plot, and what Thulsa Doom said about being Conan's purpose in life was accurate. Yes, yeah. to, to a weird degree, it was. And uh, so it, it feels sort of like Conan is going to be sort of empty and left to grieve after this. Because he yeah. went through a lifetime of trauma. Yeah. And his one purpose is concluded. It does kind of match with the postscript, though, that he's going to be a troubled king with a, you know, uh, a crown on his heavy brow. Yeah. Like, we kind of are set up to this idea that, like, Conan's life will continually end in disappointment, even when he has everything that he thinks he wants. That's a Beowulf sort of thing. Yeah, Yeah, he's not happy as a king. (laughs) No, because he's not out there pillaging and breaking crap. He's an adventurer, not a bureaucrat exactly. yeah we don't go to see conan the account actually i go see conan the accountant <laughs> i feel like that's yeah. just like office sp- space right? <laughs> like, yeah pretty much yeah, yeah yeah fuck i would fund 
a remake of Office Space with a barbarian lead character. Like, get Arnold to revise the character one more time. Yeah. yeah. Come through a portal from Hyperborea into America and has to just get a menial job because all of his skills are no longer valuable. Damn, it feels good to be a barbarian. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's sort of a strange ending where it feels like not a happy ending or a sad ending, but just like an ending with all the emotional weight that that sort of entails. Yeah. It's conclusive and also doesn't give you much hope for where the character has to go from there. Yeah. I would say the most emotionally supportive person in his life is Subo Tai. Yeah. But also the wizard is emotionally supportive too. I don't know if Conan has even a single mechanism in his body to face emotion. <laughs> uh anger. He can he can express anger. Yes. But anyway, thinking of the finality of the ending, there's one more thing I want to talk about. Okay. And it is the spirituality of the setting. Okay, let's talk about it. We talked about the the sort of ethic morality of the setting. Mm-hmm. And we talked about whatever your topic was, Jamie. Th- thank you. I'm <laughs> glad it resonated so well. Screenwriting or storytelling through uh, character motivation. That's right. Purpose and motivation. <laughs> <laughs> it, Clearly a resonant topic. It was a long time ago. <laughs> That was way back then. (laughs) That was way back then at the beginning of the Delve. 30 minutes ago. Yes. Spirituality of the setting. There are a lot of deities mentioned. Yes. We got Krom. Of course. Yeah. Somebody we have mentioned in literally every episode of Swords and Satire. A king on his mountain laughing at all the humans. You'll love it. That's right. The movie opens with a monologue about Krom given to Conan by his father. So the first words we hear are religion in schools. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's homeschooled. Yes, it's true. You, you tend to get a, get a lot of religion and homeschooling. That makes sense. Said, Krom lives under the mountain. He's the smith. And in the War of the Gods, everyone but him forgot the riddle of steel. Yeah. And now it is our job as his devotees to figure it out. So that when we die and stand before him, we can tell him the riddle of steel and go to Valhalla. Then he won't laugh in our face and then tell us to get the fuck out. To go to hell, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Go live with some other puny god. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I mean, I could go to like the Elysian fields and just like hang out and drink and fight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so in Conan's life, from his village we don't get him talking about his backstory really at any point except to Thulsa Doom when he says hey you killed my family I did not like that (laughs) (laughs) that was a bummer in my opinion that that was really a troubling afternoon (laughs) and (laughs) I tell you that was that was a day in fact it just kind of left me feeling sour for the rest of the week that sucked that sucked hard (laughs) and uh But we do keep seeing Conan as an adult, as a freed person, when he goes into the tomb of the Skeleton King (laughs) and he finds his new sword. He's like invoking Krom. He is still devoted to that same god from when he was a child. Yeah. 
So he it's just stuck kind with of him. says his name at significant moments all the time. It's every it's conversation, like an exclamation, like crawl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so that—that's really what he still has. And he says it again when the witch turns into a demon and flies away. He invokes Crom's name. But again, he's not praying. He's just using it as an exclamation. Yeah. And he has this conversation with Subotai, like we mentioned earlier, where Subotai is mentioning that he worships the four winds. Yeah. And he's like, uh, my God is greater than yours because your God lives beneath mine. Yeah. <laughs> Strict hierarchical worldview. And it's true. Conan didn't really have a retort to that. He just kind of scowled at Subotai. Yeah. <laughs> he's like... I'm not smart enough to really con But he is. Conan has studied in philosophy and, and like morality and stuff. He just doesn't have a response because Subotai made the stronger case. Yeah, That's true. Conan is actually quite cunning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we don't get a lot of other spirituality from Subotai. No. Just that fun little conversation. I think it's like a real go with the flow attitude. I think so. Hang loose. That's wind for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And as a surfer... You know, wind makes waves. Wind makes waves. So uh, Gary Jones really uh, just kind of like where they were to bring that into his character. It's true. And so the next significant leap we get in spirituality, snake cult. Yep, just <laughs> yeah, Just another snake cult. Just another snake cult. A line that has so much baggage. <laughs> I, know. I love it. It's so good. The the. That is, again, an example of the great writing, building the world in your head so that it doesn't have to bog you down with, like, oh, here's a bunch of exposition. Yeah. We just know at this point, like, oh, fuck, there's a lot of snake codes out there. <laughs> what does that look like? When people get blasé about it. <laughs> yeah. So it looks like the cult of Set, which is headed by Thulsa Doom. Yes. Now, I have no idea about Set in the Hyperborean mythology. So, in uh, Hyperborea and the Conan story, Set is a super fucking evil snake god who yeah. wants to rule the world through uh, malevolent influence over people through godlike entities like Thothamon or Thalthadum in this movie. In the movie. Yeah. yeah. Just like your kind of classic... Frank Frazetta painting evil god. So, yes. So, really, no ties to the Egyptian set. No. Yeah. And fair enough. Yeah. But, yeah, we see these temples that are very ornate. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of wealth and power that is in this cult. Uh, so much influence. The princess of a kingdom leaves to join it. Yeah. And the first thing we see about the snake cult is human sacrifice. A person is willingly throwing themselves into a snake pit. That's right. With a giant snake that eats people. She seems like she's in a trance also. Yes. Kind of, but it's like, it's it's more of a religious, um, like, ecstasy, right? Like, it's willing. That's the kind of trance I'm talking yeah. about. Not, yeah. like, not like she's entranced by no. Rexor. Like, she is willingly She's in a this. religious trance. Yeah. Yes. Um, and she's, because she's, like, swaying and, like, seems to be not fully conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And... And she's horrified when the snake that's supposed to eat her is dead. Yes. Also, it seems like she might have broken her hip. <laughs> In that mm. fall. 
She like can't move. <laughs> it became a life alert commercial. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Sponsored by, uh, <laughs> if only. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I can just see it, like her writhing on the floor in the background. Like, have you been in this situation? Yeah, yeah. we've all been here before. <laughs> Help! I've fallen into a snake pit to be wor- uh, sacrificed to my god, and I can't get up. <laughs> and then when the commercial ends, it just resumes the film. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be like the next level of like integrating marketing into films it's just gonna be that overt and then just go back into the movie you mean jurassic world when they joke about naming the new dinosaur the verizon wireless Saurus? <laughs> yeah yeah basically like that yes <laughs> like that movie that i didn't care for mm-hmm. exactly so human sacrifice willing human sacrifice yes this the is best shown <laughs> yeah that well i guess at least there's consent <laughs> exactly uh However, we've already mentioned that this is reflected later on when Thulsa Doom calls a woman off the cliffs to her death. Yes. Yeah. We're seeing his power and influence. But what sort of person would possibly join this cult if they aren't under hypnosis, right? If they aren't being magically charmed or influenced. You've got to win the hearts and minds of people. Exactly. This goes back to, like, the character motivation. Like, they're... Telling people that they can give them purpose. Exactly. There is a philosophy and a community that are on the outside of this cult. They are the facade at the front of this. When you see worshippers going to Thulsa Doom's temple, they're hippies. Yes. And I have concerns about that imagery and like kind of the political philosophy of the writing of this movie yeah especially knowing that oliver stone is like a big fan of vladimir putin oh my gosh yeah so it's probably not painting hippies in the best light no but well what's really behind hippies death cult yeah yeah well i mean back in the back in the hippie days like there was a fear around hippies and communes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like those, some of those communes were death cults back in the day, but not, you know, a lot of people who are looking for purpose can get easily manipulated. And this film is really showing that. Oh yeah. I I 100% agree. Also, this movie came out like 20 years after the free love movement or 15 years later. Yes. (laughs) So like, it just feels very pointed, but I think it's a great point to your case here yeah and so there are hippies and what it like it's sort of like what i've heard like burning man described as <laughs> it's burning snake a bunch of hippies go out in the desert they all community bond they have these events they do and uh yeah yeah when conan is out there Everyone is sleeping in tents, giving each other flowers, doing like meditations with stones, group circles, yeah, group massage lines. And That's stuff. right. It's very sensual. Yeah, and 
there's a queer person yeah, there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're going to rip this Band-Aid off and talk about the queer representation in this film, which is suspicious. One yeah. of the priests, I like how you punctuated the S's on the snake <laughs> cult, suspicious. I'm getting yeah. my uh, my Midnight Society J.K. Rowling impersonation ready. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the only obviously queer character we get in this film is a priest of Thulsa Doom, mm-hmm. is a priest of Set. And he has an interest in Conan because Conan looks big, hot, and is yeah. pretending to be sensitive. Because yeah. Conan is Arnold Schwarzenegger with 1982 pecs. <sighs> He's pretending to be a himbo instead of like <laughs> yeah. a barbarian. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he is. Oh my God, you're so it right. It was incredibly cute and yeah. alluring. Really great character. We need that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just want to see that like genuine character. Yeah. yeah. And so he sees that this priest is queer and he sort of starts flirting with him. Uh, Conan starts flirting with yeah. the priest, leading him on. And it's like, hey, before we go to, like, speak, I'm scared. Yeah. Right? I'm nervous. Can we go talk somewhere private? Yeah. yeah. He uses... He says, can we go talk somewhere where the others don't see us? Yeah. And the priest is like, oh... Yeah, he thinks that Conan's coming on. Yeah, he uses the implied promise of sexuality with a gay man to beat him up and take his belongings. (laughs) Conan beats him into unconsciousness (laughs) and takes his clothing from him. Yeah, boy, it is it is hard to watch. Yeah, revenge, what it does to a person. Sure, let's go with that. I yeah, I know it's it's (laughs) not as good as perpetuates the cycle. The priest. That he beat up now starts his own revenge plot. (laughs) I'm going to get that giant barbarian who tricked me. I'm going to get that himbo. (laughs) This is sort of like the plot of the new Spider-Verse movie. (laughs) A sort of irrelevant NPC becomes the villain. Oh, yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, you made me. Who are you? I I, I just fear. Yes. I fear that the implication is that the queer character is a villain yeah. is supposed to be like the audience would be like, Oh, of course he's bad. He's gay in 1982. And yes. it's like, okay, that Conan beats him up. Right? Yeah. But these days he just seems like he's sort of in with the wrong crowd and he's a nice guy. Yeah. yeah. He gets well, tricked. That's he's a like, little sinister. That's like everybody who's in the front facing part of this cult. Yeah. it. Do, I do get the impression that a lot of, even like guys at his level, that priest level, probably don't know that they're being sacrificed to they the don't. cult. No, I don't think so. They don't at all. Unless he's been to one of the orgies. He's mm, not in maybe. the level of people that get into inside the mountain. It seems pretty exclusive, the people who get in. And <laughs> it's a real exclusive club. Yeah, there yeah. are other priests who are a step above this guy, too. Yeah. They had different costumes. Club snake. Yeah. Yeah, they had different robes. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. It's two against one, so I'm going to defer to you guys yeah. on this. And so, well, after that point, we get to see a little bit more about what the cult is offering all these worshippers. And they are pushing the idea of ego death, right? Right. Complete emptiness of spirit and uh, just like letting go of who you are and becoming one with like infinity and oblivion, emptying yourself of personality. It's a little bit like the seeking of nirvana. Yeah. 
It is a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah this snake court loves Kurt Cobain's work. Yes. <laughs> Nothing in the way. And uh, Conan has such a good line where he's looking into a pool of water to check to see if his costume is put on correctly. <laughs> yeah. And a worshiper is like, what do you see in the pool? He like kind of looks up at her a little surprised. She asks, he's like, infinity. <laughs> it was perfect. She's like, whoa she's so taken back she's like this guy gets it this is the guy (laughs) she like hardly knew how to respond and she hesitated and after a moment she's just like good Good. she's moved yeah Yeah. (laughs) he like hard passed that bluff check yeah that was one of his like smartest lines that's another thing that i think people have misinterpreted the conan character for years as like the like archetypal dumb strong barbarian. Like I said earlier, he's a student of philosophy. His one of his like main traits in the Conan books is that he's clever. Yeah, like he's a smart dude who uses his brain to get out of problems just as much as he uses his arms. Yeah, yeah. he's just troubled. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's yeah. A, he's a really troubled guy, and way less so in the books. He's the walking wounded. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> and. uh I just want to say our hearts and prayers go out to that poor priest that he beat up. Yes. Who is just looking to have a connection with another man. We'll we'll write the movie that redeems him. Yeah. Uh, So. He really thought he was leading people to a better life. Yeah. Although he was also kind of taking advantage of of his uh, followers in in some ways. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, no, he, he wasn't trying to... Conan was the one coming on to him. True. Fair enough. Yeah, the guy was flirting with Conan, but Conan is the one making the move. They were se- he was sending out he was putting out the vibes, and then the vibes were returned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's fair. In the same way an anglerfish puts out a light. <laughs> oh no. And uh Who's the anglerfish in this scenario? Conan. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh anyway, this being said. Fast forward a little bit, because we've already talked about the Thulsa Doom conversation. Flesh is stronger than steel. That's right. Control of flesh. Conan is crucified, (laughs) effectively dies. With steel nail. Yeah. Conan is a... (laughs) That's awesome. It feels a lot stronger than flesh in that context. I imagine Conan, they're nailing it up like, couldn't you nail me up with words instead? (laughs) Conan is crucified, effectively dies, and comes back to life. I think that's just shorthand for this is the hero of the story and that he is just in what he is doing. Yeah. Because that's a Christian motif. However, that's pretty much the extent of Christian motifs (laughs) in the story. Roughly. Yeah. I think it's just like our hero is just and good. He can be reborn. The fact that the main villain is a snake. Yes, that too. That's okay. like that, that's that's loose. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, evil. No, no, snake. just like just in terms of like that is so shorthand for so much evil in just the Western worldview. Also, Middle Eastern worldview. Mm-hmm. Snakes, snakes are evil. Well, snakes are always uh, fuckers. It, <laughs> it comes from the Christian worldview. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of become like the broader Western perspective. Yeah. It wasn't always the case in European cultures before the spread of Christianity. Yeah. No. Some cultures respect snakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there are there are cases in some Babylonian myths where snakes are viewed as villainous beings as well. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. That's where a lot of these beliefs kind of stemmed from. Yeah. And spread. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And the next motif we see is the ritual with the spirits, the bringing back of Conan. Valeria asks the wizard. Akiro. Akiro. If he has any gods who owe him favors. And right. he says, of, yeah. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Look at he me. doesn't say, of course, he's like, yeah. He, he grunts <laughs> it. He's like, no. Yeah, he does. He is a mysterious man. He's a man of mystery. He can't give straight answers. Yeah. He's a wizard. He's a little bit more like a cleric. Honestly, yes. I see him as a shaman. Yeah, he's more like a shaman. Uh, Which is like the midway between a wizard and a druid. Yes. He's like, I know rituals to interact with spirits and gods. I don't like doing it. But I will. Yeah. And uh, he has an agreement with the spirits of the area. He says, they're powerful here, and they aren't that great. They exact a heavy toll. They're kind of jerks, but we can do it. And so they save one life and trade it for another. Valeria basically puts her name in a book when she does this. Yeah, exactly. She says that she's willing to come back from death to save Conan. She doesn't know how right she is. And she also said she'd pay any price. Yep, that's right. And so... She sacrifices herself for Conan, dies in battle, and gets to go to Valhalla, where she gets everlasting life. Yeah. Huzzah. She (laughs) worships Krom? Yeah. uh, Well, she pleased Krom. I don't know if she goes to Valhalla. I think she just comes back as a Valkyrie. I think they kind of mix their world mythology here. We don't know who she worships, but um, it I don't think Krom would let anyone come back. I don't know. Yeah, he... Maybe he's just had an open-door policy. He's that, that's not the only god with access to Valhalla. Oh, he's not? No. Then why do you have... Then how? But he's the only one who can kick you out. The Sumerians who worship him. He has dominion over them. Oh, okay. So he can only kick out Sumerians. Yeah. Okay. They're like his vassals, cool. you know? Well, yeah. yeah, Valeria does not seem... She might be a Sumerian. She's probably an Aquilonian. Yeah, I think she's an Aquilonian. She's blonde. Also, yeah. her coming back is proof in the world that there is an afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. You love to see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we know that there's ghosts. That's true. And spirits. Yeah. She says, do you want to live forever? Well, you got to be a badass. And then you can. <laughs> you got to live and ethically. You can deflect one sword blow for your man and then peace out again. You well, have to live moss. One way you could view that is that he was scripted through destiny to die there, if not for uh, her intervention. Okay, okay. Just like, who is it, Michael? Who's the one who lives moss? Yeah, Mike, Mike from Mike. Mike from um, Phantas- Phantasm. Phantasm, a movie yeah. we've never talked about on the show. That's okay. I think we've alluded to it in episodes. We have okay. for sure. A lot of in jokes that the listeners probably have no fucking clue where they came from. Michael is kidnapped in the back of a hearse. <laughs> he gets a gun. He shoots out the tires of the car from inside the car. Fucking epic ass yeah. 12 year old. And then he escapes from the car before it can crash. He like dives out and rolls to safety. All we're saying is after you finish the episode, go watch Phantasm. Yeah. The movie yeah. rocks. <laughs> but Valeria saves Conan. 
in an epic fashion. Anyway, the last bit that I think is important is when Conan goes to All Snakes Day, yep. the yeah. ritual, at the end, when <laughs> Thulsa Doom is addressing the crowd. And he talks about how they've, like, embraced Oblivion. They're part of the snake cult. All these people, all these hippies, are people who have been hurt by authority and judged by society. They're yeah. they're outcasts and rejects. And Thulsa Doom is like, hey, aren't you sick of getting judged by the powers that exist? Yeah. Let's go judge them, right? <laughs> right. They're about to lead a crusade, effectively, against the established powers. Or maybe against the gods, depending on what uh, those Doom's plans are for the people. We don't really find out. No, we don't. Uh, Thulsa Doom loses his head. Yeah. Yeah. He does get real mad. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Conan cuts him off. <laughs> and uh, he makes a valid point. Yeah, so oh. <laughs> Thulsa Doom was leading all... He edges him. <laughs> Thulsa, yeah, Thulsa Doom was promising revenge to the people of this community he built up and then gets, reven gets revenge taken out on him. Yeah. And that, so there's something to it. But, you know, there's just so much spirituality in the setting. We have so few answers, but it... It is fascinating what we get to see. Yeah, we do see these like kind of themes of redemption that are, that kind of become like universalized through this film. Thulsa Doom thinks that strength lies in his ability to manipulate others, but in the end, that fails him. And what is stronger is the passion in Conan's heart. And the love the passion to kill. Well, it's the love he had for his people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the shot we get right before he snaps out of the trance is his hand holding his father's sword. Right. Yeah. It's just like remembering that. He's like, oh yeah. And he just wet hacks him. Thulsa <laughs> <laughs> Doom just looks like, oh, oh, whoa, didn't <laughs> see this coming. He thought he rolled that crit and he well, did not. He's yeah. so surprised. I don't think it's ever failed him. No, no. It, it, he has kind of been a charismatic warlord for decades. Yeah. Like he had an army years ago and he's only gotten stronger since then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He does not have any strength of personality once he gets hacked into his <laughs> neck. <laughs> Funny how that he just, happens. He just looks um, bummed, horrified yeah. and helpless. So it's like and, the power of friendship is stronger. Yeah, that's right. That's why I wish that Conan infiltrated Thulsa Doom's base with his friends again. Yeah, you, exactly. I agree because uh, Subotai and Akiro are not there. At the no, end. no. It and, kind of undermines the overarching message. It does, but it fits with the end with Conan like dissatisfied. You get the impression that like. All of these lessons haven't really sunk in for him. Yeah. And might never. That's why I would say the redemption theme is actually not present in mm. this revenge story. No, that's a fair point, actually. Because that's why the ending feels kind of like you lost something. Yeah. Because there is not that promise that he's going to get better. 
Yeah, it's true. There were the seeds of redemption weren't sown. And so it's a revenge plot where he ends up living at the end, but there is not a clear road to redemption. Yeah. And we see, like, actually, maybe you're right that the bigger overarching message is that blind pursuit of a goal against, like, kind of the connections you have against with others. Like, if you are going to pursue what you want and reject your friends to get it, you're not going to be happy in the end. Yeah, that is interesting because like we were saying earlier with the crucifixion motif, it does make it seem like his path is justified. Right. And what he's doing is heroic. Yes. But, it, it, you know, a lot of ancient heroes were also tragic heroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Conan kind of fits into that model. Yeah. It's true. Of like, your name's going to go down in history. Hercules slaughtered his own family. Achilles was a fucker. <laughs> you know? They get what they want, but not what they need. Yeah, yeah Gilgamesh loses Enkidu. And the has... greatest tragedy of human history. Yeah, it's still too soon. Still too soon. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Conan saves the day Yeah, for a lot of people. and But it doesn't mean things ended up okie dokie for him. No. Yeah. If he had just followed Valeria and not gone after the snake cult and let it go, they could have had a life together. I think what you said, he got what he wanted, but not what he needed, yeah. is very much the case for the ending of this film. Yeah. yeah. Again, he saved a lot of people. And I think that's why it's such a impressive cinematic feat, because it has so many complex readings that you can take out of it, and there's no, like, solid set answer. Yeah. It's not, it's not just such a simple, like so many fantasy movies that followed this are this really simple kind of like a thematic story that is just like, okay, the good guy's going to win and like the kingdom will be saved. That's not what we get here. Yeah. You don't really get this sort of storytelling in a lot of modern movies. Yeah. Uh, ambivalent. Yeah. It feels a little bit more how like things can go in life where it's like, Things don't always wrap up into a nice, neat end, and things just kind of keep going, and, like, you move on to the next thing. He moves on to the next agenda of, like, becoming a king, but it doesn't leave him satisfied. Like, he keeps going after these things that he thinks he wants without ever realizing what's really important. And um, a lot of us can go through life that way. Yeah. I think it's a very insightful film about the human condition. Yeah. Which is really amazing that it's in this fantasy movie about Conan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Conan was a complex character in the books, too. It's so. true. Yeah. Don't be like that. <laughs> no. Find your friends. Embrace them. Like, I, I'm not saying, like, you should always listen to what other people tell you. But, like, if you're if you're feeling like you are, are being driven, like, just to kind of selfish means, right? Like, I mean, what Conan wants, there is an element of good to it because Thulsadum is a dangerous person, but there's also a selfishness. He's not doing it to stop this evil God King. He's doing it because of what happened to him in his past. Yeah. I would say he's been emotionally crippled by decades of slavery and gladiatorial living, trauma of having his tribe slaughtered 
if someone was in like a car accident and couldn't walk upstairs anymore, you would not like blame them and be like, what an asshole. No, no, not <laughs> Why at can't all. they walk upstairs? So Conan not being able to see his friends right before him and put value in those things that give you fulfillment in my way, he, it, it's like a, it's like he's, like I said, he's walking wounded. He's yeah. crippled by his past. So he you, he shouldn't really be blamed for no his blindness. No, I think we can understand that side. Just it definitely does not end up making him happy. No. So yeah, see it as uh, you know, if you see yourself in this, maybe try to sow those seeds of of life for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Find the people who make you feel good about yourself, and yes. maybe spend more time with them and see how that pans out. Like we did, and then make a podcast together. Yeah, you could always do that. Yeah. All right, guys. I think I want to do one final segment of this podcast, and I want to take you all back to the castle. Okay. <laughs> Return to the keep. <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> so I'm gonna I know I'm gonna love that fanfare, that return to the castle theme. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, oh, it sounds so good. Yes. <laughs> Just like watching Cass see more work piling up in front of them. Yeah. Wow, Cass, you composed that entire piece. No, that no, here's the... no. <laughs> we can't say that. Legally, we can't say that. Yeah. So, guys, let's talk about this podcast that we made together. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride, you know? It really has been. It started as a movie night. That's right. It did. Satire days. Yeah. And I, we tended to watch fantasy movies, which are one of our favorite genres of film. And unsurprisingly, and, we just riffed the shit out of them. Yeah. And uh, I just, I don't remember how I came up with this, but the name Swords and Satire just popped into my head. Yeah, I probably said, like, oh, man, like, we could, like, do a podcast about movies because that's an original idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also just our name for our movie night. Yeah. Well, we used to go to our friend's uh, horror movie night that he would call the Ghoul's Night. Right. So I think we kind of wanted to have something to, to call our movie night. Yeah. And since we did riff on the movies that we watched while we were watching them, um, that's why we called it Swords and Satire. Um, and so we adopted that name for our podcast, too. And yes, we were aware that our podcast was never necessarily satirical. It was actually, <laughs> cool. I would say in a lot of ways, it's very genuine. That was the greatest satire of all. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah, is. Lure people in with the promise of comedy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't funny. <laughs> I mean, depending on who you are, it probably, for a lot of people, was not funny at all. <laughs> But some of the like satirical things we've done are like the skits that we yeah. do. I just I never wanted to give people the impression that like our genuine feelings that we were expressing about something was supposed to be a joke, right? Yeah. Oh, good point. I don't think it ever came across that way. It was just a concern I had. Right. That makes sense. Well, one thing that's concerning is the live audience never laughed. I know. That's yeah. the the lack of reaction from them is kind of 
haunting. Like them staring at me right now, it's like they're peering into my soul. It honestly just made it super awkward most of the time. Like seeing the dead eyes just peering at me from behind the curtain. Oh, God. <laughs> but it has just been so much fun. Yeah. Watching the movies. I Like, I can definitely tell my analytical skills and just like social awareness have gone up so much more <laughs> nice. since we started doing this podcast. Yeah. I definitely had to get over my like initial anxiety and insecurities about the sound of my own voice. Oh my God. I hate the sound of my voice. I got you. You wouldn't know it. from how much I talk, but I feel like I can generally like speak more confidently in a lot of cases now that we've been doing this show. Nice. Yeah. I used to be so quiet when we first started out. <laughs> oh really? I don't yeah. remember that. It was so hard. I would have to like go through when I was editing and like, spend time boosting my own voice anytime I spoke. It was really? a nightmare. Oh my gosh. Um it was awful. <laughs> and see now you're a loudmouth jerk like yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose some. When I, and that I'm speaking it's <laughs> like social interactions I have as a result. No, I think people appreciate it. Yeah. We became queer over the course of the podcast. Well, I was always queer. Me too. But we just That's kind of... odd. <laughs> yeah. But we just kind of like, you know, came out. Yeah, Can you exactly. guys talk a little bit about coming out to ostensibly an audience? The live audience just has no reaction. <laughs> I to know. This. You'd think like happy, sad, angry. What do you want? Something. What do you people want? <laughs> All these gimmicks we tried. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was I was a little nervous. Yeah. But I was also just kind of like winging it. Yeah. We lost listeners when you guys Oh yeah, came out. we did. But like in the moment Got him. <laughs> in the moment I wasn't like thinking about it too much. It was like very spontaneous just instinct which takes over me sometimes. Yeah. And I was just like, here we go. This is happening. And after the fact, I was like, wow, I did that. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, we could have done a whole joke about how, like, the old ho the old third host was a jerk. or. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, Cassidy's awesome. Like, <laughs> Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we all are. <laughs> no, but I'm saying that's part of the joke of the old third host oh fuck i Who fucked left. it up <laughs> uh it's all good but yeah i was it was disheartening to see that we lost listeners after that yeah but i mean honestly do you want those people no to be your your audience i mean we have, we have like one one star review on apple i'm like okay yeah well, fuck that and I, I was like <laughs> thinking back to when we came out and it was like around the same time yeah so that was like the worst that we got, which is better than what some people have had to deal with. Yeah, by by a lot. I, I never, um, I never wanted to like have to field like the worst types of feedback from people and like harassment and stuff. You know, our politics have always been left leaning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like we've never hidden that. No, that's always been super blatant. So I don't know if it should be a surprise that we are. Allies, yeah, 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 but people like, I mean, I, I've heard this from other queer podcasters and stuff on their shows. Like, 
somehow people will like listen for 20 episodes and not get it and then suddenly just be like oh wait fuck these people and it's like man like, you th- like this was your op- yeah this was your opportunity to like grow as a person and you fucking flushed it down the toilet you know yeah. i like to take the approach like conan okay <laughs> where you don't consider like we don't blame him for coming from a life of violence for continuing the life of violence and turning away from the things that would save him as a person sure you consider him a wounded person with like a disability effectively. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of how I feel about the people who cannot enjoy real good art because they are perpetuating something they were taught. Sure. I'm less concerned with those people and more concerned with the people who do active violence against people who are different from them. Yes. Yeah. No, if you want to stop listening to our show because of who we are, that's fine. If you're going to like hate, queer people so much that you're going to go like enact violence in society. That's a whole other no, level. <laughs> that's, that's not acceptable. No, but I, I hope that the people who left when we came out will get better. Me too. Yeah, me too. And we actually gained more followers back after the fact. Yeah. Which I think is great. And more than what we had beforehand. And uh, we got like, five-star reviews after that great yeah (laughs) just a five-star review gay (laughs) (laughs) well i mean the funny thing is like i would be one of the best reviews ever i think from all three of our perspectives (laughs) yes we'd be completely happy with that yeah it's true (laughs) you know what would be hurt what would hurt the most a four-star review that just said that I don't know why. <laughs> that would be so <laughs> funny. Or maybe a three star. Yeah. yeah, I think three star is the worst. <laughs> it's like mid. That that you can't tell if it's a compliment or not. Yeah, you're like, yeah. You're complaining about something. It is it that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll say <laughs> something's not working for this person, and we're not sure what it is. I'll also say when it comes to people leaving, our listeners leaving when we came out. Aside from lamenting that. Our human family is in pain, right? Our human family is suffering. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Like yeah. the broad human species. Yes. the Our human uh, relatives, are <laughs> they are suffering from sure. uh, a history that is that has not ended and, yeah. you know, is still around. Yeah. It takes a long time to heal from ancestral traumas. It does. Yeah. And so, aside from that angle, I was just telling... One of my friends who is transitioning medically and their family isn't all supportive, supportive. And it's sort of a case where you have to see in your life who loves you for who you are and who loves you because of who they think you are. Right. Right. Their idea of you versus who you are. And that is what we figured out when we came out on the podcast. Yeah. Those of you listening who stuck with us, you're the people who we want around. That's right. Yeah. This is how we curate our audience or curated our audience. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter if someone listened to 100, 200 of our episodes and then when they found out we were queer, they left. They did not like us for who we are and what right. we have to offer. That's Yeah, fair. it's true. And uh, that's a shame. But those of you stuck around, 
You're the real satirist. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. And, you know, I want to take this opportunity as we're wrapping up to reiterate a point that I have made over and over and over again. And it is like my cure. I don't know if it's my cure. It's my response to online discourse. Everything is political. Anybody who's telling you that something is not political is either a bad faith liar or is blind to the reality of the situation. The only reason that, you know, mostly like cis straight white dudes can say something else is political and that they're not is because they are looking at it from that point of advantage of, of privilege of being a part of the dominant culture, dominant narrative. Yeah. And having been able to uh, benefit from those privileges my entire life, I can say that with full confidence yeah. that I know it's true. <laughs> yeah. I have, you know, and you know, I've grown up, you know, poor and I've only become more poor over the years. So I'm not like in the economic hierarchy but socially i have a lot of things going for me yeah yeah and and that i maybe at some point in my life that blinded me to reality but now i can fully say having studied society on a professional level everything is political and we live in a society and we live in a society thank you another (laughs) another film we never got to talk about the jonker yeah (laughs) yeah yeah the junker. Yeah. But I, I if if there's one major <laughs> message that if there's one major message that I want to send off with, it's to think critically about where you stand in society and to not let your biases blind you to the suffering that other people are experiencing. And Kind of going along with that, thinking critically about the things you consume or the things you love doesn't mean that you can't like those things. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. It just means that you are thinking for yourself. Yeah, that's another great point. I think there's so much kind of investment that people put into media that they like that they can't hear a bad word about it. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, we've seen this discourse online recently, like we did a rating system from one to 10 swords for a long time on our movies. And like a movie that we gave five swords to out of 10, that didn't mean we don't like it. That's yeah. a middle of the road movie. It might be a perfectly fine movie. It might be a movie we that we will go back to multiple times throughout our lives. That's not a bad rating. It's OK to just think something is OK. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I think that about a lot of things. Yeah. I'll probably go back and watch some two sword movies again. There's a lot of things. <laughs> Jack is giving me a look of I'm, sheer I terror. hear the Christmas train. No, in I've the never. Distance. I gave that movie zero. I'm never watching that again. Um, We might. No. It could happen. No. It you guys happen. gave Cats zero out of ten, and yet we're watching it again at some point. No. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and also it's okay. Even even if I had a perfect movie, a perfect 10 out of 10, I probably had critical things to say about it because that's just how life is. Yeah. Nothing is above critique. Critique, if anything, can be an expression of enjoyment of something. Yeah, yeah it's true. It, it means you're engaging with something more deeply. And And like, just because you're critical of something doesn't mean you can't still appreciate it for the things that it does well. Yeah, it's true. It's also an act of self-care 
If there was poison in your dinner and you're like, this is my favorite dish, I'm not going to talk shit on it no matter what. It's like, okay. It'll kill you if you eat it. Yeah. Maybe you should scrutinize about a few of the themes in what you're looking at. Yeah. But like, it is good for you to check up on the influences you are taking into yourself. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Like there, there are pieces of media that I enjoy where I have to, I have to cringe at some of the things in the media that I consume. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I still love them. Yeah. Especially like, I've said this probably multiple times throughout the show, like especially with older movies, but especially with newer movies, we still <laughs> miss shit on a social, like progressive level all the time There's in modern movies. Still a lot of cringe worthy stuff. Yeah. And like, I think that denying that does a disservice to the things we love, to the media we love. Yeah. How can we get better if we can't identify things that might be a problem or damaging in yeah. some way? Or limiting, I should say. Yeah. So let's talk about why fantasy. It's got swords. <laughs> it's got magic. Yeah. It provides this opportunity to talk about a lot of these important political ideologies and things that are going on in all of our lives. And you can easily relate it to the fantasy films that we watch. It's it's a genre that lends itself to these discussions. Yeah, it's funny because I, I feel like that's a great point. Because fantasy has kind of been relegated to like a lower echelon of like filmmaking in people's minds. Yeah. It can it can say so much. There were so many movies we watched where I was like, holy shit, this is like a socialist uprising that we're seeing. Or like or we're seeing how like people in power can just mistreat people below them and like seeing how the heroes of these movies usually stand up for people who are being oppressed in a more legitimate way than most other movies will portray. It's similar to the horror genre in that way, where horror movies are about finding yourself and claiming your own power. Yeah, there's a subversive element to horror and fantasy. Mm -hmm. And bringing down the patriarchy and the colonization of your own mind. You know, Right. Yeah, I'll also say... The fantasy genre is frequently dismissed. Yes. Especially these days with less just like classic fantasy style movies coming out. Yeah. A lot of people are just like, oh, fantasy. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, it is a setting, but fantasy still has storytelling like any other genre. Mm. It's just sometimes better. Yeah, it's true. But it's also whimsical. In like, that's what it is. Fantasy is whimsical. And so it has a vibe that can be a little more silly serious. Which I think is why we liked it so much. That's our vibe. We love it so much. That's our vibe. Yeah, it is. It's like we make a lot of jokey jokes, but I, I hope that over the course of our show, we've also said some insightful things that have made people think more critically about something. About something in their lives, about something in a film. Something. Yeah. All right. Well, before we break and disappear into the ether, I want to ask you guys one more question. What is it, Jamie? What was your favorite part 
of the show. <laughs> you know what? My favorite part was the practice. Watching movies with you guys and getting to talk about it together and like all the interesting discussions we've had and conclusions we've come to together that I would not have been able to reach just on my own. And that's something I really value about doing the show with you too. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Like I was saying earlier, my critical analytical skills definitely went up through watching all these movies and talking about them with you guys. And it has just improved the way I think in general. And I, I'm certainly a healthier person because of it. Nice. nice. Yeah. Hopefully we've helped uh, our listeners in a similar way. Oh, yeah. And it's been silly serious the entire time. I, I've Since the beginning, my main motivation was just to hang out with the two of you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's a good motivation. Yeah. And so it... It's been, uh, obviously, that's why I kept coming back. But, yeah, that was probably one of the most, val that was probably the most valuable thing I took out of it, were those critical thinking skills. And just, like, a discerning eye. Uh, my favorite part of actually doing the show, the skits. Yeah. I said it. They're silly, and they're a lot of fun. Yeah. And then when I listen back to old episodes, sometimes that's the only thing I listen to. I go through like <laughs> six episodes just listening to the intro skits. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The Northman had a pretty good one. Mulan's was pretty fun. We have a notorious one for Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Classic, classic. I We had a really good one recently with... Oh, uh, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Oh, oh that yeah. That one was so funny. We got some good feedback on that one, too. Yeah. Yeah, they've been a lot of fun coming up with the ideas for those. Oh, yeah. So that that's always been a favorite of mine. Even though we just figured out how to do a more feasible approach to such a thing <laughs> right before the end. Yeah. yeah, well, we weren't necessarily doing sustainable podcasting, which, yeah, yeah. given um, our lives, and that's why we're finding ourselves here, right? Yeah. What about you? What did you think? What, what was your favorite part of the show? You know, you guys gave great sentimental answers. Um, <laughs> And I appreciate that. I, I'm going to say, <laughs> no, I, I echo your guys' responses. I also want to say that, like, something I enjoyed the most was getting to, for whatever influence we had, for the audience we had, getting to shine a spotlight on movies that I think a lot of people would never see. Mythica. Mythica, exactly. A, a film like Mythica that I think does so much well. Um, the age of the dragon, right? Yes. Like it's this insane retelling of Moby Dick with dragons, but I think it's a really great, fun movie. The night before Christmas, maybe I was gonna say that actually might be one that more people have seen, but like getting to dig deeper into it. That was so Sir fun. Cole. Sir, Sir Cole. Cole. And like even <laughs> bad movies. Night of the Dead. Oh. That was the one with the priest as the main character, right? Like the cleric? Maybe? It was the medieval setting yeah, it's where medieval. the plague is yeah. zombie. It's very low budget. I liked that well, one. I I feel like, I don't know if I super liked it, but I liked that. It was that, interesting. Yeah. I liked that we got to talk about movies 
that would not otherwise get their due and that are kind of gonna sadly be like forgotten in a lot of ways like unless you're a major fantasy fan like us you're you don't see these types of movies there's other genres that people will just kind of passively watch I feel like with fantasy, you need to be a fantasy fan to watch a lot of this. What was the Viking movie on Netflix that we reviewed? And, Viking Destiny? And the and the guy who directed it responded to us? Yeah, yeah. that was fun. He was like, thanks so much for talking about my movie. Yeah, and we didn't awesome. even We didn't even give it that high of a rating necessarily. It was no. kind of middling. But again, that was like a movie that I think got like five or six swords and he yeah. and we had fun with it we he, actually liked it yeah, yeah yeah and he appreciated the insights that we came to and that we got that he was going for a gritty retelling of a disney princess story yeah and that was sick i was just like yeah artists supporting artists yeah and that's the thing like even if i have bad mouth any given movie first off i've always tried to be because our rating system was super subjective. And we said that like every episode almost. Yes. If it was like an, a big budget, like whatever, then I'm like, yeah, I will gladly like shit on the corporate movies all day. And like, even if I have fun watching them, like I don't feel like I need to be precious about those, but like indie movies, things that people like put a lot of effort into producing a fantasy film with like not a lot of budget and not a lot of support and just like the desire to do it. I always tried to honor that. Yeah. There are some, there are some really fun low budget movies we watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like that one where you're like the paladin, the destined night slayer or like uh, Dawn of the dragon slayer or the the paladin and the dragon. I think that's the one that had like, two different titles yeah that yes, one was pretty that fun. was good actually that was pretty i mean weird, for yeah. for what it was <laughs> yeah like even if i critiqued movies i always at the end of the day i always appreciated the artistry that goes into season it. of the dragon is that the one with moby dick what is the moby dick no one? age of dragon that's age, age of, of dragon how about season of the witch with ron perlman and nicholas fucking so that was fun amazing. was that our only no we also talked about the wizard's apprentice yeah the sorcerer's apprentice oh yeah we did balthazar he I was mean, in if, our fantasy avengers that was one of the most fun things we did too yeah, yeah that was a lot of fun we got to talk about like our team ups of different fantasy movies yeah 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 that was a lot of fun guys so i'm really glad we got to do this i'm sorry that it is coming to an end but i'm also glad that it is coming to a conclusion yeah we we're giving it its fair due and you know it's it's stopping for now we needed to do this um like we were saying before because we all have different things happening in our lives and our schedules are changing and just like our priorities and the things we're working on our lives are evolving. Yeah. So it became necessary to stop the show. We fully reserve the right to pick it up later if we feel like it. In this form or another form? Yeah, and maybe in another form. I also have really Jamie and I have also been really wanting to do narrative podcasts like radio dramas. And so Maybe we'll have the time now to put something like that together. It's possible. Yeah. I'm sure you. we would probably recruit Jack's voice to also be there. Oh, that's for sure. Here I am. That is me. <laughs> you don't have to audition. You're just in. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and you know what? Before we we wrap up, I just want to say thank you to especially, I mean, everybody who's listened, all of our listeners, yes, but especially our patrons and friends who came on the show with us, who were producers for our show, who supported us through word of mouth retelling. You know, our friend Casey Cannon, who I've always called the fourth satirist, yeah, who made our amazing logo. Yeah. Um, and like covered The Witcher with us. Yeah. And like a lot of fun movies that we did. Warcraft. Warcraft. Mickey, one of our uh one of our closest friends as well. Came on Millicent. Made that Maleficent. Epi- Maleficent. <laughs> yes. Made that episode so good. Both oh of them. Oh my god. Yeah. Incredible analytical skills that yes. we got to share with them. Alicia, who is our number one fan, who it's just been like controversial. The- <laughs> 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 who has just been like so supportive of everything we've done, who came on to our Fern Gully episode. And yeah. Luca. And Luca, that's right. Our guests have been such, uh, just such a highlight. Whenever we have a yeah. guest, enhances the episode so much. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Really, really worth, so great to work with. So thank you to, to you three and also to everybody who's stayed with us, who's been on this journey with us. We also had Jorge for the Monster Hunter World episode. That was a lot of fun. It was. Jorge and I had, um, you know, okay feelings about that movie that you guys hated. <laughs> My favorite part was when it ended. Was when the U.S. soldiers dissol- were laid eggs in. <laughs> I was like, yes. I like the muscular chef. <laughs> that was fun. Cass has nothing to say about that. Movie. I just want to move I, on. I thought about bringing it up, and I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to bring up old grudges. I'm like, Cass is just looking at where to cut this content. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a long episode. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, you can still find me on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and the smoldering dragon feces that is Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, and I also have a couple Instagrams. One is Cassidy themselves, and I put up a lot of my artwork there. Nice. Which is cool. And pretty soon I'm going to be starting to sell my artwork, so just keep an eye out for that. Yeah, nice. And maybe you'll be producing another podcast in the near or not too distant or distant future. Yeah. Time will tell. That's right. And if you want more of me... Uh, I'll be guest starring on whatever Cass and Jamie invite me to. (laughs) (laughs) Aside from that, uh, you can find me in a flowering meadow or out uh, among the trees. You are kind of a fey creature. I'm out there. Yeah. At a cafe, even. I'm a cafe enjoyer. That's right. (laughs) uh, If you're concerned about your skit for this episode don't worry because if you stick around after the episode you're gonna find a little treat Ooh, a delicious little treat that's dangling at the end there maybe some laughs maybe some tears maybe <laughs> poop your pants yeah we'll see classic <laughs> all right well until we meet again hail crom
Ah, yes. Thank you for this meat. It, I've heard good things about the meat in this country. Oh, yeah. Enjoy your meat. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just a really hard decision to know where I want to settle down. I know. We've been traveling so long. I just, I'm looking for a place to settle. Yeah, to call home. Hey, I heard what you were talking about. Do you mind if I join you? No, come on in. Got, oh. got my mead here. How's that mead? Pretty good. Well, yeah. You slurped the hell out of that thing. That must be a tasty mead. That's the yeah. way you enjoy it. That's the proper way to drink it. Good to know. Yeah. This is why I always rely on the knowledge of locals. I've got a place I can recommend for you guys to visit. Oh, you're a traveler like yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, even I've better. traveled all over the dang place. Oh, yeah. Well, take a seat. Tell yeah. us about it. All right. Here we go. Sitting down now. Uh, that looks comfy. It is. Oh, yeah. Sit just like a champ. <laughs> you really know how to relax. Well, thank you. This so guy's relaxing here. <laughs> I got to tell you about Samaria. All right. Okay, Have you okay. heard of it? Maybe. It's it's kind of ringing a bell. It's north, right? Yeah. Beautiful snowy mountaintops. Ooh. You can stay with the people there. They're very welcoming. They live out in the forest. Sort of like a winter wonderland sort of thing? Yeah, kind of. They've got these really nice cozy huts. Oh, living off know. the land. I love it. Cottage you know, vibe. They do crafts every day. <laughs> so cute. So rustic. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Making honest living with your hands, living in a cottage. That sounds so nice. It's, things are just simpler mm. there. You, you really feel like you can be yourself. Wow, that sounds like a great place to bring, like, a family. Yeah. Now, hold on a second. Now that you've mentioned this, didn't Samaria get raided by, like, a snake cult 15 years ago? Yeah, you know, uh, I did hear something about that. What? Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure that they, like, came in there and, like, basically murdered all the people there and then sold their children into slavery. You know... <sighs> The world is becoming a harsher place. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know if I'd be comfortable in that environment, especially raising children. Yeah, I don't know about settling in a place that raids happen so often. Yeah, you and know, so, like, violently. It's too bad, because it really is a beautiful place. Yeah, but sometimes you just need that sense of security. I don't yeah, know if this is a good option. I get it. Yeah, well, uh... Like, I know how that is. I actually just came from the Eastern Steppes. Oh. Yeah. I've never been there. Oh, beautiful rolling grassy hills. Oh. It's, uh, the sky is massive. Oh, beautiful. You just beautiful. see the whole horizon. Goes on forever. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's sort of got like this fun traveling community camping vibe. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Sounds now, like a traveler could fit in there pretty easily. That sounds charming. Yeah. Well, you know, you you can only kind of travel with so many people cuz you got to you got to only take the essentials, but this entire community is based around camping. We got horse riding. Oh, there's very nice. fireside chats. We have all these banquets. Oh, that sounds fantastic. That's, I'm super into that. Yeah, you live in the real good life there. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it was pretty good. You seem to be a little bit hesitant, though. Well, like, it, uh, 
you know, there was, I got, I got rubbed kind of the wrong way. Yeah? Yeah, well, while we were glamping, uh, there was this, this, like, guy just sitting right in the middle of the food yeah, on our that, table. In uh. the middle of the food? That doesn't sound hygienic at all. He was sitting, I think he was like a, like a, like a trained killer, like a gladiator, too. Jeez! Wait, was he part of this group? Yeah, I, I really couldn't tell, but... Like, the leader of the group was having a philosophical conversation. He's like, what's best in life? And I was like, oh, I like, you know, a warm cup of tea, sitting around the fire with friends. Oh, yeah, see, that's what I'm all about. Yeah, but he actually talked about, like, like the gladiator said, like, murder. What? And about, like, lamentations of widows. I don't like that at all. This sounds like bad vibes to me. No, the neighborhood, I just wasn't sure about it at that point, so I I left. Yeah, I just don't know. That doesn't sound like something that I want to deal with, you know, when I'm homesteading. Yeah. And me, as a independent traveler, I just, you know, I need to look out for my safety, and, like, I'm looking for good vibes only. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know... I've just been considering maybe doing the more suburban thing, maybe going to the big city like Zamora. Oh, Zamora. I've you heard know, of that. Wow. You know, it's great. It's first off, it's a walled city. It's like a fortress city. Aren't things more expensive there? Yeah, you know, they're a little bit more expensive, but, you know, your money goes to the protection of the community, which is like okay. really important, I think. Yeah. No raids. Yeah, those exactly. Walls. Yeah, like, and we don't have to deal with, like, a lot of the problems of living out on the land. Like, there's access to good food every day, like, from all kinds of different cultures. You can get, like, Aquilonian food, Stygian food, like... Yeah. A lot more options, you know? Okay, that sounds pretty good, but... I probably would have to get a job just to afford to live there. Yeah, but, I mean, there's so much work. Okay. There's, like, so many opportunities, really. Okay. Uh... So, I, I I was actually there not too long ago. Oh, oh yeah? Yeah, since, well, you know, we're not too far from it at this inn. Right, yeah. I was actually just in the city, and I saw the largest man I have ever laid eyes on. Oh, okay. Wow. Call a group of women sluts. What? That's rude. And then punch a camel into unconsciousness. I thought Zamora was supposed to be a progressive city. Yeah, that's animal cruelty. I I just got the heck out of there. That's why I'm here right now. Oh, jeez. It seems like nowhere is safe or good vibes these days. Yeah, you know, I'm beginning to think that nowhere in Hyperborea is going to be right for me to settle down. Isn't there a city out like on an island out on the ocean? Yeah, that's right. Atlantis. Yeah, I've heard it's like a paradise. Oh, you know, maybe that's what I'm looking for. Atlantis sounds like a place that's going to be around for a long, long time. Yeah. A place where you can feel cozy and safe. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, nothing mm. bad could happen to you there. Well, you know, I don't know about you guys. For me, it's settled. Yeah, I think we should travel together. Yeah, let's go live in Atlantis. The kingdom that will last a million years. <laughs> Cheers!
Nostrove. 